You're listening to MHD Off the Record South LA Highlights, where I, Siobhan Taylor, speak with local organizations, small businesses, and individuals doing amazing work in South LA. Here, we uplift and highlight their work while keeping you informed of the resources available in our community. On this episode, we speak with Joel McLafferty, licensed marriage and family therapist and the founder and executive director of the Westmont Counseling Center, which provides quality, affordable counseling and other mental health services to the residents of Westmont and surrounding communities in South Los Angeles. These services are designed to help people build resilience, recover from trauma, live in peace, and improve the quality of their lives. Joel previously worked for several community mental health clinics, including Open Paths Counseling Center, where he served as clinical director, and he was also an adjunct professor at Antioch University, Los Angeles. Enjoy the show. So welcome, Joel McLafferty. All right. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. So let's talk about the Westmont Counseling Center and what inspired you to create the center. Well, I'll try and give you the short version, but uh, almost 10 years ago, 10 years ago in January, there was an article in the LA Times uh, called Death Alley, where a, a very bad, I think unfortunate pun on Death Valley, where it described the about a mile-long stretch of Vermont as Death Alley. And I live in Santa Monica, and I was very curious about the community and how this could be... Uh, so close, uh, but so different. And so I uh, uh, emailed the reporter. She had mentioned uh, a uh, community meeting uh, and about that, and she sent me the details. And uh, a couple months later, I finally got the nerve up to go attend the community meeting and subsequently got involved in the community uh, with some nonprofits, uh, mostly gang intervention organizations. And then at the time, I was working uh, at another mental health clinic, uh, Open Paths, as the clinical director. And I left that job and was kind of wondering, well, what should I do now? And I knew that this community, Westmont, uh, was sort of, I had noticed that there weren't mental health facilities. services there. There are are certain mental health uh, services for uh, people that uh, really suffer from chronic mental illness and uh, sort of, but severe uh, cases, but not so much uh, a just primary care mental health, uh, like uh, couples counseling or someone who suffers from anxiety or depression. And so I opened an office there, just seeing how things would go, and I uh, started to build a clientele. And then six and a half years ago, I uh, incorporated into a nonprofit. Why was it important that things like anxiety <clears throat> and couples counseling be something that's covered in that area? Well, I think it's important that everybody should have access to that. You know, right. that it's ba- basic, primary mental health. And uh, not to mention that, uh, like every other thing, uh, in, sort of medically, uh, mental health should be treated at when it first emerges. And, uh, and it does get worse if it's not treated. And uh, just felt that, like in Santa Monica, there, there are a couple of clinics like this. I worked at one, Family Services Santa Monica, wonderful clinic. And I was just struck by the fact that those services were not available in this community. In your opinion, why do you think there was such a disparity? 
Well, I, I mean, there's so many ways that uh, this community and South Central generally are under-resourced. And it, uh, that's one example, I guess, of many. You know, we could talk schools, jobs, so many other things. So this is just one of the many things. One that... of many, right. And then that's a whole discussion. <laughs> right. But I don't know if we want to get into that. I can. I have no problem okay. with that. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll go there. No, but I specifically was interested in mental health services, though, because I've, I I agree that there is a disparity. You can see those things. But I think sometimes we, we focus on things like jobs and schools because that's the discussion we have all over the country. And we don't often talk about mental health services and the need for them in places like quote unquote death valley. It's a death alley or death valley was the a article. Death alley. Death was alley the... was the article. Yeah. And in a place where we do know that there's pl- like high violence and there's high poverty and things like that. But there's no mental health resources to even talk about that. Right. So right. I think that's an important thing to address. Certainly. I mean I I, I think well, there are two things. I guess one is you know, under resourced is just not having the resources, not having the money uh from government, insurance, you know, however people normally uh, pay for mental health services. Uh, then there's the, uh, the, the lack of sort of uh, wealthy uh, wealth in the community to build those uh, charitable services. And then also the community has a very legitimate uh, stigma against mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a household where therapy was frowned, you know, frowned upon at that. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, the situation's changing, but our whole culture has not been that warm towards mental health services. But this community in particular uh, has very legitimate reasons for being wary of mental health services. Um, they, they, the history of psychology and particularly African American community is is really horrible. What uh, are some of those legitimate reasons, and what is some of that history? Well, there there have been some notorious experiments uh, against uh, not against but using uh, African Americans in psychology. There have been uh, diagnoses. Uh, you know, which really pitted uh, where uh, mental health was used to enforce uh, sort of, uh, I guess, white supremacist norms. Um, And then even today, uh, many uh, people, many residents in this community, their first association or contact with mental health is in through some sort of a mandate. So, So through... Uh, Department of Children and Family Services, or uh, uh, still today, uh, uh, black male youth are way disproportionately diagnosed with uh, uh, behavioral problems in the school system. Uh, so, I think that's absolutely accurate because the reason why I almost wanted you to kind of explain to the listeners a little bit so they can kind of understand what you meant by that. Um, in my experience, both working in social services and mental health, I can tell you that's I, I can tell you that's absolutely true. I, my experience working in, especially with the Department of Mental Health, a lot of families, their first experience with mental health services, it was definitely a mandate. And it was the fact that they felt like their words were being used against them. Yeah, They felt like this was a way to get their children taken away from them. Sure. 
Um, this was a way to diagnose their children with disorders such as oppositional defiance disorder. And they felt like, well, what is this? It's because my child doesn't want to listen to you. My child's been through so much trauma, they don't trust authority, right? right? And now I know from reading various books from other psychologists and things like that, they're actually questioning certain diagnoses and how they're disproportionately applied to black males and black boys, mm -hmm. right? So of course there's going to be some apprehension, but what you're providing with the Westmont Counseling Center are resources for um, a healing journey. Well, yeah, we're trying to, certainly. Yeah, that's our, that's our mission, is to sort of work against this, uh, this tide and provide uh, some uh, healing and, uh, yeah, for, for the residents, yes. Through your work and the work that you've been doing, are there some um, instances or examples that you have of residents, you know, getting some new insights into their life? Well, this is difficult because I can't, you know, I can't just like uh, think of instances because, you know, uh, my profession is so confidential, and I want to, I want to protect that, and I don't. Or even, just generally. Yeah. Well, I think, f for instance, uh, uh, a program that we have is the community resilience program, and so that was sort of a, a and that's been, so the example is that it's very popular. Okay. And what that's designed to do is we have a very simple... So let me take a step back. The community is obviously suffers from a lot of trauma. I mean, there's trauma everywhere in our society, but particularly, unfortunately, this community has uh, a, a, more violence. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and people suffer from trauma, untreated trauma. And trauma is a horrible... Uh, mental health problem that sort of stays with people. And it, it's important to understand that if people that suffer from trauma, that that's something that happened to them, uh, not something that is wrong with them, that this is just something that happened. And so we want to help treat the trauma in the community. So we use a very simple model called the community resilience model. And that we give workshops that are very simple on what is trauma, what's its impact on your central nervous system, and what are some basic things you can do to alleviate those problems. And so we used to give those workshops in the community. And then we decided to start training community leaders for them to go out and train and give these workshops. So to try and, you know, reduce this stigma by kind of bringing mental health services into the community at more of a peer level. And that's been very successful, that, that the feedback we get on that is that people are not only their lives are helped by be, by taking this training, but also that in giving these trainings, they feel like they're able to help people. And another thing that happens is it does then reduce the stigma of mental health. And so we get more people coming into our clinic for therapy. Is that Does that answer your question? Absolutely. Because I can totally see that. I can see how if you're the person who's also conducting the training, it's also part of your healing journey. Right. right. And other people can see that in you. And you're from their community. You're right. someone that, you, you know, that, um, that they respect. 
You're someone that they trust. Mm -hmm. You're not an outsider coming in, telling them what to do or trying to be their savior. You're someone who's like, hey, I'm like you. I'm on this journey with you. I want to explain to you and teach you and show you all the things that I'm learning uh, along this journey about our brains, our bodies, our nervous systems, how we can get through this so we can begin to even make change in our communities. Mm -hmm. And I can see that. Those And then those people moving forward to teach that to their families or to their communities as well. I think that's a beautiful model. And I think that's a beautiful part of your program. And the reason why I say that, because you can just be a mental health facility. It just, it just sits there, bring, gets in clients, gets referrals. And that's not a bad thing. That's a wonderful thing. We need those services. But the fact that you're saying, hey, we want to also train the community so they can still continue to be advocates and assets within their community, that's a beautiful, that's even, you know, beyond what I think a lot of facilities do. Well, thank you for that and, and, and for understanding that. And I just want to add that another thing about it that I think is great is that, um, you know, this community resilience model still was designed and developed and written up by people like me. You know, from outside the community. From outside <laughs> the community. I mean, I just I'm I'm a white old man, you know. I'm seventy years old, and I didn't uh, want to say it. You said <laughs> yeah, no, it, <laughs> put it out there. I mean, to give context to the statement, and so that you know, that's that's that in trying to accomplish this problem of bringing services to this community, I have to understand that you know, I may not, I don't know exactly how to do that, but in this program then we can teach people, uh, we can train them in the model, but when they go, we encourage them when they go into the community, give these trainings, that they use their language, that they use their stories, that they make it their sort of own thing. So it's much more accessible Mm -hmm. to people. And also using, you know, your language, old white guy, <laughs> from, uh, and you came, you know, you said you were in Santa Monica right. at the time when you decided to uh, bring this to South LA. Um, you actually hire from the community as well. I noticed on your website there was somebody whose sister um, I went to school with. Right. So, um, and I looked at your Instagram because I told you I'll be doing my research. So I went through your Instagram and I noticed all your staff, you had like a particular picture with all your staff. All your staff looks like they're from the community, like they're reflective of the people of the community. Um, a lot of black and brown folks. Why was that also an important aspect of the work? Well, it's, it's the same thing. Um, you know, there's uh, uh, people in the community. I admit that there's, even though I'm experienced, I have a lot of experiences of therapy, that they could be better served by sitting down with someone who's even much less experienced but looks like them and that they can relax with more, that they naturally would trust more. And, uh, and again, that has language and stories. So um, anyway. I actually think that's extremely important. I remember when I had a therapist one time, it was my first and last time in the session, and it was a white woman in, I want to say, close to Echo Park area. And she or Silver Lake, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. I remember my session with her and I was trying to explain to her why I was in, uh, I was having some heavy anxiety about my boyfriend at the time. He was moving to Texas, but he was driving mm-hmm. with a car full of stuff. Right. My boyfriend was a, almost 300 pounds, over six feet. Right. Dark skinned black male. 
And she could not understand why I was in a panic. She kept trying to get me in her mind. I think she was doing a, a therapy to get me to not be afraid, but I don't think she understood why I was afraid in the first right, place. Right. And, and it was almost offensive that I had to even explain to her yeah. why I was afraid. Just having to explain it was angering me mm -hmm. I, as opposed to talking to someone else who I felt would understand. And then we can go into whatever my practices could be or my coping, whatever technique mm -hmm. she was going to recommend. But the fact that I had to keep explaining to her my panic was driving me insane. And it angered me. I don't see how that can put me in a position, at least mentally, to even receive whatever help she was going to give me if I'm just sitting there frustrated that she doesn't understand the fear of a Black woman telling her that her partner, who's a Black man, is about to drive from California to Texas. With a carload. With a carload full of items. Right. I, I couldn't understand that. And the fact that she didn't understand was just so frustrating. So having right. someone who can understand your experiences, who can understand your culture, who can understand, you know, the trauma that your people have been through, yeah. that's something that's really important. And I think that's really amazing that you opened up a facility and hired from the community Right. qualified people from the community. I looked at their credentials oh, too. <laughs> and these were highly qualified No, we don't people. cut corners. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to look, spend a lot of time looking. <laughs> and you're also a place where people can get trained, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people from the community, because I know we have a lot of people from our community who are trying to get their LCSWs and getting their um, LMFTs, which are, let me spell that out, people, yeah. licensed marriage, family therapy, uh, 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 credentials and trying to get their licensed clinical social work credentials. Um, this is also a place where you can go to get yes. your credit hours. That's right. And that's right. And, and so, and also those people are then uh, supervised, that is sort of coached or trained by people who are from the community. And that's, that to me is something that's very much needed. Okay. And I appreciate that you've done something that, you know, and you understood your role in that. That's another thing people don't always understand. And I think that's really important that you understood your role. Okay. Well, it's always a learning process. You know, life is a learning process. And this has certainly been one for me. So you are one of our community uh, reimagined fund community grantees. Mm -hmm. And I would love to know how that grant has been able to support your organization. Okay, so another program that we have that is directly supported by this, and I'm so grateful for this, uh, these funds and this, the grant and the support, is called Peace at Home. And, you know, that up, up, not our direct mission, but sort of our, it, you know, in treating trauma, in treating, we, we, ultimately hope to reduce violence and reduce trauma, right? I think that's what we all want for that community. And so it's my belief that, unfortunately, or scarily, violence begins at the home, you know? And so we need to take steps. And and intimate partner violence or domestic violence occurs, you know, throughout L.A. in every community. Uh, but, uh, and so... Places, other places in other communities also treat uh, victims and perpetrators of domestic violence. And so that's really the focus of that program is that we have a, uh, uh, a L.A. County probation approved 52-week uh, uh, groups for uh, 
people convicted of perpetrating uh, violence in the home, and we have uh, a group for people, predominantly women, who have been victimized by this, and uh, we also uh, serve people that need help with anger management, and uh, and that those programs are are all funded uh, by this grant and. Uh, it uh, it's I think it's an important part of our mission. Is it a counseling program? It, yeah, they're all counseling, right? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's great. So this is a program specifically to address IPV, right? Wonderful. That's beautiful, and I'm glad that we were able to support that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was it something you already had a vision for when you applied for the grant? We, we, yeah. It's been a ve- it's a very long process to set this up, and so we we had been spending over a year uh, trying to get this signed up to get to get approved to provide these predominantly in particular these 52 week uh, groups for uh, the probationers uh, we to be approved for that through the probation department is a very lengthy process and so we were already involved in that but we have gotten approval and we do have the groups going now Wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. I know that, um, you like you said, you're a nonprofit organization, not mm-hmm. just a medical facility. No. You are a nonprofit organization. So that means that there's ways that people can support what you're doing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So what are the ways that people can support or get involved? Well, the, the first thing is is just to support mental health, you know, to be... Uh, open and honest in talking about mental health problems, uh, to encourage people to get help, and to get help yourself. Um, you know, the most common thing a- around mental health services, people tell me about other people that need help. Oh, my sister, she really needs therapy. Or, <laughs> oh, you know, uh, it's easy to see the problems with everybody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A little bit harder to see your own. <laughs> to right to make pick up. It's easy to pick the phone up about somebody else, but pick the phone up and make an appointment for yourself is is I think the starting place. That's where the healing starts is with ourselves. But also, you can go on our, our website. Uh, you know, which is Westmont Counseling www.westmontcounseling.org, and you can make a donation. We we have a pretty much an infinite need for money, and um, what a nonprofit! That has yeah, an infin- can you that's believe actually that? providing services yeah. has an infinite need for resources and money. Right, right, right. And uh, but uh, and also just you know in the community, um, yeah, talk us up. I love it. Um, are there any upcoming events or programs that we should know about? Uh, I guess I'm not prepared for that. Yeah. um, Let's see. Uh, There's a a ceasefire meeting. I don't know if people are familiar with ceasefire, but we we sponsor a, a talk at ceasefire. So this is a week from, it's the second Wednesday. So that'd be a week from Wednesday, a week from tomorrow. At Ceasefire at the Bethel AME Church at 79th and Western. And uh, there's dinner, and the talk is What's It Like to Be a Black Man? Oh, wow. And it's led by. a deep discussion. 
and it's led by a, uh, a trained therapist who's uh, African-American male and, uh, and used to work for us, and uh, everyone's invited. How's that? I love that. That uh, uh, starts between 6.30 and 7. Okay. Is that information also on your website? I don't know that. It is. <laughs> okay. So, but if people want to find out more, they can go to your website and maybe send an or email. they can call anybody that wants any services at all uh, should call us at 323-531-0565. Awesome. And we'll make sure to have this information in the show notes. Okay. So, don't worry. If okay. you didn't catch that, you're driving while you're listening to the podcast, you're washing dishes, you're cooking dinner, don't worry. The information's in the show notes. We'll have all that available for you. Sound good, Joel? That's good. All right. Um, if there's anything that you guys want to know, he said you can call him. So don't worry. Please do. Please do. <laughs> Is there anything you want to leave us with? Well, be well. Be well. I love it. Wellness is important. Thank you so much, Joel. I definitely appreciate you for coming in. I, I'm loving the work that you're doing. I love your approach and I love the models that you're utilizing because I think community healing is um, something that we should be talking about more because there are disparities. There are things that we're uh, facing here in South LA that other communities aren't facing or just facing in a different way. And I think it's important that we talk about that. And so I appreciate you coming in to discuss that with us and the work that your organization is doing. Thank you. Thank you for your support and thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to MHD Off the Record. And special thank you to Felicia the Poetess Morris of Morris Media Studios in Lamert Park. For more information, please visit MHDCD8.com and follow at MHDCD8 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to rate us five stars, subscribe, and share with a friend.